Welcome to the Arthroscopy Association of North America's Arthroscopy Journal podcast. The views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of the Arthroscopy Association of North America or the Arthroscopy Journal. Welcome, everyone. I'm Dr. Clay Nelly with TSAOG Orthopedics. Tonight, I have the privilege of speaking with a mentor and great friend of mine, Dr. Patrick Smith. Dr. Smith is a long-standing team physician at the University of Missouri and member of the Columbia Orthopedic Group. He was the lead author on a paper entitled All Inside Quadrupled Semitendinosis Autograft Shows Stability Equivalent to Patellar Tendon Autograft Anterior Cruciate Ligament Reconstruction, Randomized Control Trial in Athletes 24 Years or Younger, which was published in the June 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. Dr. Smith, thank you for joining me. Thank you, Clay. Appreciate you having me on. Well, first, congratulations on a really well-done study. A randomized control trial, as we all know, is difficult to get accomplished, especially a single surgeon in a single center. And so it's a really well-done study. So congratulations on the study and especially 92% follow-up in a, in a younger population, which isn't always easy to accomplish either. So could you give us a little bit of the background for the study and your reasoning and kind of the impetus for doing it and then kind of your overall general thoughts? Thanks, Clay. I guess I would start with, you know, I've been doing all inside ACL surgery since 2006. So it's been a great interest of mine. And and one of the things that has happened is really there's really not been much published in the literature on the outcomes with uh, ACL surgery all inside. So I wanted to look at that, particularly the uh, quadrupled semitinosis autograph graft link technique that we call it. And then I wanted to compare it to, say, the gold standard, at least perhaps in the United States, you might say, as a patellar tendon autograft, especially in athletes. As I looked through the literature, it was pretty interesting. There actually has never been a reported randomized controlled trial in ACL surgery at all in patients just under the age of 24 and younger. So that's never been done. And so, of course, it hasn't been done looking at BTB versus the graft link all-inside approach. So that was kind of the impetus for the study. I wanted to see how the all-inside technique stood up to, uh, again, what we might consider the gold standard. So that's uh, the background of, of where we started. And then for me, it was just a question of my practice has been really more favored toward the BTB autograph, especially in uh, competitive athletes and the college athletes I take care of here at the University of Missouri and other colleges. So, But I've recently been doing more hamstring in that population. So we want to just look at this young age group, which is the other issue really, Clay, to think about is this is the high-risk group, right? These are the patients that tend to re-tear their grafts, have problems. So I really wanted to, to, to look at the tough scenario of, of these patients that we all deal with that are athletic and tear their ACL. And can we determine with a high level of evidence being a randomized controlled trial, is one graft better than the other or are they equivalent? Yeah, that's terrific. And there's a lot to unfold there. And I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts kind of on, as you mentioned, the gold standard of BTB and, and then your experience over the years. But let's just dive into some of the nuts and bolts of the study a little bit first. So it's 32 patients in each group, randomized controlled, as we mentioned, and uh, pretty much equivalent in terms of KT1000 testing, which I think is a, an important variable that you guys looked at uh, in the study. And then relatively equivalent outcome studies, uh, patient-reported outcome studies as well, uh, with uh, two graft re-tears or 7% in the hamstring group, and then three contralateral tears in the BTB group. So were those results pretty much what you expected to find, or was there anything interesting or unique that you guys found with this study? Well, I think the, 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 the one thing that we found that I think is really important to take away from the study was the KT1000 data. And specifically, you know, we showed at two years, the BTB group side to side was basically equal at zero. But the, the hamstring group was only 0.3 millimeters, basically the, the same at zero. 
And when you look through the look through the literature, which we've done for a hamstring follow-up at two years, that's the tightest KT data that's been reported. So this group of quadrupled semitonosis autographed hamstring graft patients were tighter than what's been reported in the literature in the past. And I think that goes to the all-inside technique because with the all-inside technique, it's suspensory fixation both on the femur and tibia with adjustable loop devices. And what it allows us to do is to retention these grafts intraoperatively. And I think that's a huge advantage. So you fix the graft on, on the femur, uh, fix it on the tibia. I always fix it in full extension or hyperextension if the patient has it. And then I cycle the knee vigorously like 20 times in the OR, put a pivot on it, put a drawer on it, just really stress it. And then retention both the tibia and the femur with the suspensory devices, the adjustable loop allowing us to do that. I think that's translated into those really excellent KT1000 numbers that we saw. So I think that's the first point to take away. Advantage of the all-inside technique is the retentioning for excellent stability. And then we talk about the graft tears and the contralateral tears. I think important data. Our 7% re-tear rate for hamstrings is very well acceptable in that high-risk population in athletes under the age of 24. Many studies have shown 20% plus re-tear rate with hamstrings in that group. So I think we did well in that regard. I did not have any B2B re-tears. But then we had the contralateral tears, three in the BTB group, none in the hamstring group. I think that really was an eye-opener for me as well because of the fact that, you know, if you think about it, I mean, if my son tears his ACL and you ask me the question, would I rather he re-tear the graft that I that was fixed on his operating side or tear his other knee, I would absolutely say re-tear his graft and keep one knee normal because we know even with the best ACL reconstruction in the world, that knee's never entirely normal. And I certainly do not want uh, my, my son or any of my patients, if I can avoid it, to have bilateral ACL reconstructions because that's putting both knees at long-term risk. So I think that really is a, a really important point. And when you look through the literature, there are some studies, you know, 20, 25% risk of contralateral tears with BTB. So I think that's really, really important. And I think one of the other studies that comes to light that Kate Webster from Australia published last year in uh, AJSM that the return to sport, if a patient has bilateral ACL reconstructions, is only 40%. So, you know, patients just don't do well if they have bilateral reconstruction. So, again, I think that's kind of a little bit of a knock against the BTB is the risk of a contralateral tear. We didn't see it with the hamstring group. In the literature, you're not seeing it with the hamstring group as much. So, yes, a little bit higher risk of re-tear of the hamstring graft in that two-year period, but no contralateral tears. And then on the BTB, I had no tears of the graft side, but I had which was 9% risk of a contralateral tear. So I think that contralateral tear is something that really is an important uh, take-home point uh, from the study as well. Yeah, those are all really interesting findings and really good percentages, as you alluded to, and as you mentioned, as, as it relates to other studies that have been done in the literature. Uh, one of the other interesting findings from the study, uh, most of the outcome scores were pretty much similar or pretty much equivalent, especially as far as statistical significance. One thing that was different is the BTB showed statistically significant higher uh, immediate post-op VAS scores, so the early, the, within just the first week after surgery, and then they leveled off with the exception of kneeling pain, which uh, at two years was higher in the BTB group. Again, that's pretty consistent with the literature, but is that a factor that uh, surprises you at all or that uh, you think weighs into your thought process and graft selection choice? Yeah, it, it does, Clay. I mean, you brought up a really good point. The all-inside surgery is, is less painful, and we showed that in, in a study back in 2013 that uh, Jim Lubowitz, uh, I was part of with his study, that we looked at less pain with all-inside. So we saw that kind of here as well in that first week or so, first two weeks. But the anterior knee pain was actually statistically significant at uh, six months, one year, and two years in our follow-up data with the BTV group. And, you know, 
you know, personally, having uh, spent a fellowship here with me, I'm pretty persnickety about how I do things in the operating room. And with my BTB grafts, you know, I bone graft the patella, I bone graft the tibia, I, you know, lightly reapproximate the patera tendon, and I meticulously close the peritoneum to really take care of the soft tissue. So, you know, I, I felt like I didn't think I would have anterior knee pain as much. I mean, somehow, I, I guess I just thought maybe I, you know, really took care of the tissues. It was going to be better than in the literature, but it wasn't. So, I, you know, I guess my answer, short answer is I don't think I can harvest the BTB any less invasively or take care of the tissues any better than I did. And I still have, these are my patients, so it's my data, they still had increased risk of anterior knee pain with BTB. And I don't know what else I could have done differently. So to me, that really kind of hit hard and that fact and the risk of the contralateral tears. And so quite honestly, you know, it's interesting. It's a lot of work to do a randomized controlled trial. You know, this is five plus years of work because, you know, to, to get, you know, all these patients enrolled and, you know, two-year follow-up and then collect the data and write it up. It's a five-year project, you know, and uh, well worth it, though. But at the end of the day, you have to look at it. And again, this was a single-site study. These are my patients. So what it did for me, Clay, is it, it really has changed my practice. I kind of reevaluated things. And so I don't do very many B2B graphs now, even in the athletic age population. So if I don't do a hamstring graft, I switch to actually quad tendon now. That's my preferred graft where I used to use the BTB graft. You know, quad tendon, uh, you avoid a lot of the, the anterior knee pain issues, kneeling pain issues with incision above the knee, the patella, not right on top of the peritoneum, smaller incision, easier dissection for the graft. So, uh, again, you know, I, I, I just had to look at the data. And so I've actually changed my practice based on this study. Yeah, you know, those are really great points. I think that's, that's why a study like this is so, is so great. You know, I think there, there's some surgeons occasionally out there that say, you know, well, I don't have any anterior knee pain with my BTB grafts. And I kind of sometimes have to look, I look at them and kind of say, well, well I don't know, because I, I've, I've seen people like, like you yourself who meticulously take, do everything they can to make sure everything is per- practically closed layer by layer. And the reality of it is, is you're still just going to have some anterior knee pains with some patients in those BTB grafts. And so I think it's great to have studies like this that report the data, you know, honestly, and report the data as it comes. And, and then we can really kind of interpret that and take it, you know, how we need to. Another kind of interesting statistic from the study I saw was the return to sport. So return to sport, I think was 83% in the hamstring group and 74% in the BTB. It wasn't statistically significant, um, although it trended towards the hamstring a little bit. Um, You've done, you know, thousands of both of these in athletes. You mentioned that you've kind of changed your practice even to some degree. What what percentage of, of hamstring versus quad versus now BTB would you say you're doing particularly in this group in the in the athletes 24, 24 years of age and younger? That's a great question. And I think that I would tell you right now, I'm probably doing in my practice 50 to 60% quad tendon and, you know, 30 to probably 30, 35% hamstring autograph, quadrupled semi-teal inside, and I'm probably only doing about 5% BTB. Quite honestly, I'm just, I really have dropped off on the BTB, and especially as I followed the quad tendon graphs along here the past few years, you know, we've really seen good, good outcomes, and I think we've avoided the issue of the anterior knee pain. And also, and this is something that I really kind of want to follow, and, and I haven't seen others really talk about yet, I haven't really seen the contralateral tears with quad tendon, interestingly enough. I just Again, we've got to collect the data, so this is anecdotal level five coming from you, me tonight talking to you, but I just haven't really seen the opposite side tears with quad tendon that I've seen in the past with the BTB. So that'll be an interesting long-term follow-up for us to look at that to see if that does make a difference. But I really I really have changed the, the practice profile of, of the ACLs that I've done. And after 35 years, you know, I think that 
in practice, you know, you, you have to be open-minded. And, you know, I do things a lot differently now than, you know, even when you spend time with me in the fellowship and, and, and you know, we've talked a lot of in the, in the past, we've not talked about internal bracing. And I think that's another area that has been really helpful for me in my practice. So I think you just got to, you have to look at what you do and, and, and really study what you do. I mean, because it's like you said, it's not always what you think that things are going to be fine, no matter how well you do in the operating room, the, the, the proof is in the pudding and following these patients up. So for me, this type of clinical research, I think has been very helpful, hopefully to others, but certainly for me, myself personally, in my practice, it's, it's made a difference. Absolutely. And I've enjoyed following it as well. So do you think that BTB is going to continue to be the gold standard in the, in particularly the young contact athlete, or do you think that trend is going to start to change or shift or is it, you know, that's kind of what's kind of worked and what some people are just confident in and that's what they're going to stick with no matter what the literature or what the data shows or what things show, or do you think we'll see some changes in the trends over the next five to 10 years or so? Well, I think, I think quad tendon is really making an inroads quite honestly. And, 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 and as the technique has become easier to do, there's a lot of new technology to make the graft harvest really minimally invasive and the graft for preparation very minimally invasive. Um, I do I do my quad tendons. I don't take bone with it to avoid the risk of a, of a patella fracture, which uh, could occur with a, with a graft if you took quad tendon with bone from the patella. So I think the soft tissue graft really has some merit. You can get a big, nice piece of collagen. I like to go full thickness. That's all I've really ever done is full thickness. I've not seen any issues in patients in, in, the, in the clinic afterwards with any type of tendonitis problem. I always close my defect, but that hasn't been an, an issue at all. So it's really kind of a, a pretty uh, great graft to use. So I do think I do think we'll see some changes. I think as as you know in the college ranks, you know, hopefully, you know, some players from Missouri do make it to the NFL, and and unfortunately, some tear their ACL, and some of those patients that have quad tendons, hopefully, will get to the next level in the NFL and get evaluated at the combine, and hopefully, pass and not be graded down. And I think you know you're going to see quad tendon become I think a more popular graft going forward, and I, and I think. You know, not to just knock on BTB. I mean, a lot of the BTB patients do well, and a lot of surgeons in, in our world of sports medicine, you know, believe in the BTB, and, and I think that's fine. But I think the one thing that experience also has taught me with BTB is that I do think there is an increased risk of, of later uh, OA, as been shown in the literature, but especially patellofemoral OA. You know, Clay, to me, I, I think that what happens with BTB grafts, and I think some of the anterior knee pain, you know, my belief is that there's a, a bit of a contracture that happens uh, no matter how well you take care of the soft tissues that we talked about, I think the patellar tendon tends to contract a little bit, get a little scarring underneath the patellar tendon from the fat pad. All these patients, I think, get a little bit of subtle patella infra over the years, and, and I think that's what leads to increased stress on the patellofemoral surfaces. And I've performed arthroscopy on many patients who've had a prior BTB graft who are stable and return to play, and they have grade four change in their patella trophy at a relatively young age that, that becomes symptomatic. And I think that's something that I don't think we likely will see as much with a quad tendon and certainly don't see with the hamstring group. But I think, I think that's another thing to consider. You know, we didn't obviously look at that right in this study, just two-year follow-up. But I think, you know, I'm hoping to follow some of these patients on a longer-term basis uh, with radiographs and, and, and see if we can show that there's a little bit of wear on the patellofemoral and a bit more so in the BTB group. But I think that's my clinical perception over the years as kind of another factor for me that has moved me away from BTB now, especially with what I found here with the anterior knee pain. And also, again, the contralateral ACL tear issue with BTB. That's terrific data and information. Uh, you did mention that, you know, a certain percentage you are doing hamstrings, about a quarter to a third or so. Is there a specific patient or a certain patient population where you would lean more towards the hamstring versus the quad tendon or the BTB at this point? 
You know, I, I think that, you know, I actually, when I present to patients, you know, I, I talk about the different draft options, you know, and, and, and now I have some good, you know, information to share with them in terms of saying, listen, you know, I think we can get you just as stable with a hamstring graft as a BTB. And I really like the hamstring graft, especially from a, a posterior harvest perspective. You know, I just make a small incision and, 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 and posteriorly and just one incision and harvest the, the semi-T and it's really minimally invasive. I mean, to me, that's my preferred graft if, if patients are inclined to go that way. Some of the bigger patients, if I want a bit more collagen, where well, I'll go with the, the quad tendon and get in that 10.5, 11 millimeter diameter graft if I really think I need a bigger graft uh, because the hamstrings will be a bit limited. You know, you can sometimes get a, a, a 10 millimeter diameter graft, but that's relatively rare. It's usually in the range of about nine millimeters or so. But I, I think, you know, for me, uh, the hamstring is just a really slick way to do it. They don't seem to have the motion problems with extension afterwards that you sometimes see, especially with BTB. Um, although with quad tendon, we don't see quite as much of that being a problem. But you know, I really present to the patients their options. I will say if I have a patient with excessive hyperextension, I probably definitely would leave more to a quad tendon graft in that group than the hamstring graft. That'd be the one I think that I would look for that I might sway me away from a hamstring graft. That's terrific information as well. Thank you so much for sharing your vast knowledge and experience uh, with us in terms of ACL reconstruction and athletes. Dr. Smith, thank you very much for joining me. Any last last minute thoughts and and your 30 plus years of treating athletes in ACL reconstruction? Well, Clay, I think we, we can still get better. I mean, uh, we, we've got to keep looking at this. I think, you know, uh, my next goal is to study the quad tendon in a similar type of fashion. You know, I just I just feel like you know, we're not there yet. I mean, we still have graft re tears and, you know, we're, we're fortunate to be in sports medicine. It's the greatest field, in my opinion, in orthopedics. Patients tend to do very well in general, but, you know, we don't have to deal with cancer and bad things like that. But for me as a, as a knee surgeon, particularly, you know, it, uh, it's tough when you, when you get the call from a, a mother that says, you know, Johnny hurt his knee again, you, you kind of almost always hope, well, I hope it's not the one I fixed, you know, when you get that phone call, but we do see re tears. I still see some re tears in my practice. And as many, but I still do. And, and, you know, those will keep me up at night. You know, what, what could I have done differently? Because, you know, we always know that the second time around is never as good. You know, an ACL revision is never going to do as good as a primary ACL. So I think we really have some work to do still in determining, you know, best graphs and, and what to use and how to use them and what indications to use them. And I think that's where these clinical studies are very important because we don't have the problem solved yet. We still have issues with ACL reconstruction in 2020. And and I uh, just think that we, we, we can be better. We need to be open-minded and look at these type of studies and use the data to, to make our appropriate decision for our best care of our patients going forward. Absolutely. We'll keep at it for sure. Dr. Smith, thank you for joining me today. Great. Thanks, Clay. It was great talking with you, Dr. Smith's article, All Inside Quadrupled Semitendinosis Autograft, shows stability equivalent to patellar tendon autograft anterior cruciate ligament reconstruction, randomized control trial on athletes 24 years and younger, was published in the June 2020 edition of the Arthroscopy Journal. That will conclude this edition of the Arthroscopy Journal podcast. Please listen next time. Thank you all for joining us. Mm-hmm.